We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 20, The Stranger. The air date was April 29th, 2012. The writers were Ian Goldberg and Andrew Chambliss. The director was Gwyneth Horder Payton. American-born Horder Payton is known for directing episodes of TV shows such as The Riches, The Shield, Torchwood, The Walking Dead, Sons of Anarchy, American Horror Story, and Pose. She will direct six Once Upon a Time episodes in total. The title card was Jiminy Cricket. We start off our story with August installing a fancy and a bit of an overkill of a lock on Mary Margaret's and Emma's door to keep Regina and her skeleton keys out of their apartment. If you had any doubt that August is from the Enchanted Forts, which has a lot of Renaissance Fair aesthetic, or that he is a hipster in this world, that badass lock is all the proof you will need. It does not go at all with Mary Margaret's brick shabby chic decor. It like sticks out like a sore thumb. And I appreciate that Emma remarks on this and Augit calls it medieval chic. <laughs> Although I'm not sure why they could have just, you know, changed the actual lock. Like I'm sure Mr. Gold would not mind. And oh, good Lord, I hope they asked his permission to install this fucking thing because yikes, it's like 18 inches long. Well, I mean, if all goes south, they can point at it and say August did it. That's and then true. They'll That's just true. kill August and do us a favor. There you go. Regina probably has keys to every lock ever. And they probably didn't trust putting oh, a big slidey thing. Gotta yeah. put a goddamn deadbolt on this thing. Yeah, because you're right. Because they'll probably either have to go to like, well, they probably go to Marco, but I was just going to say like they probably have to go to the stupid Dark Star Pharmacy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Everything's a Dark Star Pharmacy. Go buy a fucking new doorknob from fucking Sneezy. <laughs> he'll sneeze all over it. Ew. He'll sneeze all over it and then he'll be a complete bastard to your child for no reason. Yeah. Emma asks where August learned his locksmith and medieval chic skills, to which August replies evasively, woodshop. This casual mention of school gets Mary Margaret into gear as she dashes to get ready to go back to her job. Emma gently asks if Mary Margaret is ready to go back to work so soon, but Mary Margaret laughs off her concerns, saying, after a stint behind bars, how tough could a room full of fourth graders be? You know, I, I get that sentiment, but... You weren't a holding cell for the better part of a week, Mary Margaret. You you weren't in the clink. You weren't in jail. You didn't join a prison gang. You weren't pumping iron and getting poke tattoos or on a chain gang. You're fine, princess. I mean, yeah, sure. She wasn't in like your prison, but she also was being framed for murder by someone who she had like no idea why the hell they were bent on ruining their life. Very true. And the dude that was supposed to stand by her just turned on her on a dime, along with pretty much this whole goddamn awful town. Besides Emma and Henry. So, like, I mean, it might not have been prison, but it was a real shitty time. Ooh, so after would, that... No, no, no. I, I absolutely time. agree. Like, of all <laughs> yeah. of, like, the betrayals that she went through. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, she's also kidnapped. She was also kidnapped. She was also kidnapped by a really, but really hot, hot guy. <laughs> but that's not, like, that's not what I'm arguing. It's just, it's just the actual, like, the line of dialogue. The stint, the stint, behind, the stint behind bars. Rather than the, after the roller coaster of trauma that I went through yeah. by all these crazy <laughs> people in this town. Like, True. it's like, Mary Margaret... It's not like the fact that you were behind bars. It's the fact that like all these people are absolutely batshit insane around you and letting yeah. you down constantly. 
So yeah, that, that, that was more my sentiment. No, no, no. I'm not disregarding her or like Maybe what she's she gone just through. thought it would take too long to be like, after all X, Y, Z that happened to me. This, just, this is true. Like, she's just yeah. like laundry listing everything. And then this happened. And then, and then this, this happened. happened. And then this happened. And then this happened. She'd, she'd be fucking late for work by the time exactly. she got through her whole list. She had to just, she had to sum up. <laughs> true. Okay. I appreciate it now. Mary Margaret turns the tables on Emma, asking if she is the one they need to worry about. Emma is confused, but August reminds her of the threat she made to take Henry away from Regina. Oh, that wasn't a threat, Emma assures her friends, elaborating to August and Mary Margaret that she hired Mr. Gold to help build a case against Regina. August shares a worried look with Mary Margaret, who asks if Emma is ready to be Henry's mom full time. Emma says yes. Girl, you live in an open loft with a woman accused of murder. Like bare minimum, the child needs his own bedroom. Bare minimum. She's also living here rent free. It's not even her place. Yeah, she's just she's crashing she's crashing Mary Margaret's place she doesn't even have a home yeah I don't think she's thinking in her in her right mind right now Mm, no but honestly who could blame her everything's so wacky around her I mean is anyone in this trash fire of a town in their right mind right now no 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 so there's that. So there's only, that. only Henry. Only, only Henry. Henry. Only Henry. And it's surprising that he is, honestly. Yeah. He is, he is shockingly well adjusted. Yeah. Code red, code red, buzzes the walkie-talkie from which Henry contacts Emma. He tells Emma to meet him at Granny's due to an emergency. Emma leaves right away. August follows her out and says that a custody battle isn't going to accomplish anything. Emma needs to see the big picture to truly understand what she is up against. That is the only way she will know how to beat Regina. Incredulous, Emma sasses back. Okay, new guy, how's that? August advises Emma to take the day off and go with him to a secret location. She walks away as August pleads for her to take a leap of faith. Emma says her kid needs her. She doesn't have time for faith. Take the day off, homie. She is the only sheriff in this town. Who's going to cover for her, Pongo? And Pongo is a very good boy. I trust Pongo. I trust Pongo with my life. Deputy Pongo. <laughs> he saved Henry and Archie. It's he true. Did. Yeah, he's, he's more useful than half the men in this town already. Oh, yeah. That's being so generous. I think it's, I think it's <laughs> I think way He's useful than, than all the men, potentially. <laughs> Pretty much. Also, this scene is just, like, August is so insanely sus and smarmy in the scene it just sets off like every warning bell it just it makes me think of the john mulaney routine where he's like you never go to a secondary location like that's all i could think when i watch this (laughs) also he like tries to come to the operation cobra meeting and like no fuck you you can't come to operation cobra meetings you fucking scrub you're not in this club and no he's never officially invited he was never unofficially invited either he doesn't belong here yeah only archie and outsider i mean Henry did like no no we pointed him and we say interloper (laughs) okay okay outlander outlander (laughs) at granny's Henry sushes Emma when she blusters in and asks what is the emergency if this is so sensitive why did Henry choose to meet at granny's I'm hungry Henry answers honestly leading to the best line of the episode I love how honest our good boy Henry is it really is a wonderful little moment He's, he's honestly precious. He's such a good boy. 
Henry asks if anyone else knew that Emma kept his storybook locked up at the sheriff's station, but she insists they are the only two that know. He reveals that someone added a new but unfinished story to the book and believes the story was added by someone who wants them to know more about the curse. August. The story in question is about Pinocchio, but Henry is confident he knows how the story ends. So why add it? Emma reminds her son that he will be late for school, prompting him to put the book away for now. I have to actually pause here. I like that Henry is like, he is confident with like how that story ends, but I'm like, Henry, my dear, good, sweet boy. Have any of these stories actually ended the way that they were, quote unquote, supposed to? You know, like everybody knows the ending of Pinocchio. Well, everyone thought they knew the ending of Snow White, you know? Yeah, that's true. So I'm not defending August at all. I'm just, I'm I'm just, uh, I think, uncovering the bad line. Yeah. (laughs) Henry would have questioned Henry would be like, have to, I have to solve this right now. Yeah, I feel like this is, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, it is, it is pretty counter, it is pretty counter to his need to like, I don't know, put every puzzle together as soon as he humanly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a very out of character line for mm-hmm. him to just be very dismissive about it. Yeah, he's a puzzle solver. I think they just got lazy. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time for these writers. No. no. In the enchanted forest of the past, the enchanted puppet Pinocchio and his father are clinging to a wooden raft in the ocean during a wild storm, trying to escape Monstro, the whale. After nearly capsizing, Geppetto insists that they must abandon ship. There's only one life vest, and Pinocchio refuses to take it, as he is wood and will float. Geppetto does not want to risk the chance, but Pinocchio dives into the ocean as he pleads with his father to save yourself. Okay, the first shot of like the stormy sea and that big wave is actually really fucking good. Like, I love it. I mean, not just saying that because I'm terrified of the ocean and whales, don't ask. It's just a really, really good shot. The CGI on Pinocchio is absolutely horrific though. Like the puppet is made out of nightmare fuel. Oh yeah. It's consistent though. Nightmare yeah, puppet. Cons- I was going to say, it's, it's, con- it's consistent I mean, yeah, with the Poopenhausen's that they already yeah. <laughs> It's on brand. It's like if there's one thing that freaking Once Upon a Time is going to stick to, it's horrifying puppets. <laughs> We're just horrifying CGI. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Poopenhausen. Poopenhausen. Geppetto wakes up the next morning on a beach with the life vest. He finds Pinocchio dead, face down on the beach. Geppetto picks him up and cradles him crying as he wishes he could have saved his son (laughs) i'm so sorry as soon as like you read he finds pinocchio dead face down on the beach i just started laughing my ass off oh god oh no it's okay i i had to stifle yeah like pinocchio face down on that beach was so unintentionally hysterical like what a great reaction image it's it's really funny oh no, <laughs> oh, no. my cgi puppet son is dead <laughs> oh it, it's it's hysterical and i love that there was legitimately a twitter post that we saw like today that was a screen cap of that scene and it just said how the fuck did he drown he's made out of wood <laughs> <laughs> i'm just 
I'm glad the internet is still asking these important questions. Me too. As as ridiculous as that specific shot was, I have to say props to Geppetto's actor because he, in this scene and the previous scene, was acting his heart out with a CG puppet as a scene partner, which it's got to be hard to do. So so props to that dude. I mean, at least in this scene, they gave him like a fucking physical. Yeah, there's a hold, physical puppet. Like, yeah. But when they're out on the ocean, it was probably like a tennis ball that he was acting with. So. Oh, yeah. That is kind of impressive. The blue fairy floats down from the sky. Oh, good. The nightmare jellyfish woman is here. Huzzah. <laughs> oh, Chell's broken little. Huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> to Geppetto crying over his son, she says, you still can, in response to him wanting to be able to save him. She waves her wand over Pinocchio, and he's transformed from a puppet to a boy. Pinocchio wakes up and realizes, I'm a real boy. Oh, God. <laughs> Geppetto thanks the fairy. This is all I've ever wanted, he says. She tells them to go live as a family. The blue fairy reminds Pinocchio to be brave, truthful, and unselfish. So long as you do that, you'll always remain a real boy. The camera closes up on Pinocchio's smart little red hat. I have a few thoughts here. One, I wonder how Geppetto acquired his accent, considering his younger self had no accent. So my thoughts here is, number one, maybe he was like adopted by folks without accent and he was young enough that he picked it up. Or number two, maybe he like apprenticed under someone with that accent. Those are my theories. Maybe there's just no fucking consistency in this show. Uh, that might be the right one. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> two, look at this sweet ginger boy. Oh my gosh, I love him. Three. You know that this bitch put that caveat in just to have an excuse to have something over this kid in case he comes in use to her later on. Yeah, her fixes are never the right fixes. She no, never, they're never not. They're always never... in service to her. Yeah. Because I'm just like, bitch, you're not brave, truthful, and unselfish. No. <laughs> no, but she's also not made out of wood, so. <laughs> no, she's made out of like crushed diamonds and I don't know. Jellyfish. Jellyfish. <laughs> She's like a reanimated corpse of a jellyfish. Kind of is. It's like a jellyfish, and they just like sprinkled fairy dust on it. <laughs> Why am I alive? <laughs> <laughs> to bring terror to everyone around. <laughs> Back in Storybrook, we see the same cute little red alpine hat as August looks upon it with a pensive expression. He sits upright and picks up the phone to call Mr. Gold. He says they have to meet to discuss a problem with Emma. As he gets up to leave, August jumps back in pain and pulls up his pant leg to reveal wood where flesh and bone should be. So basically this scene is just confirmation that August is dying because he's a shitty person. I mean, yeah, he's not uh, truthful or good good or unselfish. I don't remember. I don't know. I mean, he's dying because he is a pawn of the blue fairy. He's That's, dying because yeah. he's a snack of shit. Both. Both is both, good. Both, both is good. Both is good. But literally it was like, do the bare minimum to be a somewhat decent human being. And he was like, fuck that. And it was like, okay, you're wood. I'm like, nah, man. Then perish. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Regina approaches Mary Margaret during the morning at school. You're back, Regina notes. Yes, isn't it wonderful? Everything worked out, replies Mary Margaret, using her best, you aren't fooling me voice. Regina ignores the tone and comment explaining she's there because Henry forgot his lunch. Mary Margaret tells Regina he's with his mother. Ooh, Mary Margaret got her right in the filios. Regina asks if there's a problem with Mary Margaret, who tells her not anymore. Although she has been framed for a horrible crime by someone, Regina tries to play the Sydney card, admonishing his actions. If it was Sydney, Mary Margaret replies. 
When Regina asks if she's insinuating something, Mary Margaret replies she is, but she forgives Regina, even if she cannot admit her crime. Because only someone whose life is filled with incredible loneliness would try to destroy other people's happiness. It's so sad, Mayor Mills, because despite what you think, it won't make you happy. It's only going to leave a giant hole in your heart. As Regina absorbs this, Mary Margaret begins to walk away. Ugh, and it's so good. Mary Margaret killing Regina with kindness? Forgiveness? I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it sure seems to rattle her. Mary Margaret is just so sweet and just wrecked Regina, but was so nice the whole time. I love it. Wonderful moment. Henry arrives, totally suspicious of her presence. Regina gathers herself and gives him his lunch, then adds she wants to transfer him to a new class. He asks Regina if she wants him to have a new teacher because she framed Mary Margaret. When Regina asks if Henry thinks she's capable of such a thing, he replies, of course, you're the evil queen. Regina tells him that fairy tales aren't real and that Miss Blanchard should be grateful that Regina isn't trying to get her fired. Henry leaps up, daring her to try, as she can't stop Snow White from getting her happy ending with Prince Charming. The curse will end. Good will win, says Henry, before insisting he won't transfer to a new class and walks off like a boss. Henry needed a microphone to drop for his amazing exit. He could have dropped his Tron lunchbox, but then he'd be like, crap, I sacrificed my lunch for a dramatic exit. This whole scene is great. Love these two, these two exchanges back to back. Elsewhere... August enters Mr. Gold's shop to find Marco, who we recognize as Geppetto, analyzing an antique clock. August is visibly shook to see his father. Marco doesn't recognize August, leaves with the clock with only a polite nod to his son. Mr. Gold asks if it's August's first time seeing dear old dad since he first arrived in Storybrooke. Gold knows who you are, shitbag. Mr. Gold asks why a man who says he's about to die can't say hello to his own father. August replies that it is his business. Fair enough, says Mr. Gold, before switching gears to discuss Emma, reminding that August claimed to be the only person who can get Emma to believe and do what she has been brought to Storybrooke to do. Yet for a man who is running out of time, you don't seem to be in much of a hurry. August says Emma is slowing things down because all she can think about is getting custody of Henry. August asks Mr. Gold to steer Emma to him when Emma seeks Mr. Gold for his legal services. Mr. Gold laughs diversively and says that trust is a big ask given what he knows about August's nature. I love Mr. Gold in this scene because it's not really Mr. Gold. Like this is Rumpelstiltskin barely hiding under the surface of his Land Without Magic counterpart. Like maniacal, expressive, taunting. I love it. Because he doesn't have to hide who he really is in front of August. And he's just like, oh, I'll help you. But not because I like you. Because I don't. <laughs> Honestly, Gold should just use him for firewood and save us the pain of a full August episode. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Pinocchio helps his father fix the same antique cuckoo clock we saw in Mr. Gold's pawn shop. When Jiminy Cricket pops out of the clock tied up, Geppetto asks Pinocchio if he did this, and he sternly reminds him what the blue fairy said about being a good boy. Damn, Pinocchio is like consistently a piece of shit in like every version of this story. Jiminy insists Pinocchio did not mean any harm. I'd be laughing too if I wasn't so dizzy, says Jiminy, causing Geppetto to chuckle despite himself. 
bastard people. <laughs> okay, important talking point. So Geppetto, as a young child, saw his parents be transformed into horrifying puppets, right? And then like 50 years later, he carves himself a puppet son. So like this dude is seriously working through some trauma, isn't he? Oh yeah, it's called exposure therapy. I mean, these these are the olden times. They didn't have therapists. They just had crickets. They just had crickets who they then maliciously abused. Oh, poor Jimmy. But this is like fascinating, adding that layer to Geppetto's thing, being like, oh, his parents were turning the puppets. Like, then, then he became a puppet creator? A woodcarver? Well, yeah, he became like a, a woodcarver. Wood yeah. Yeah. He's he going through some things, man. People people work through their trauma in different ways. It's true. And this was his. This, yeah. So then the blue fairy appears, causing Pinocchio to ex- exclaim, I'm sorry, I meant to be good. She says she is not here because of him, but she brings bad news. Geppetto shoes Pinocchio into his room, and Jiminy joins him to give the other two grown-ups privacy to talk. The Blue Fairy tells Geppetto about the evil queen's curse, and that it's too late to stop it from being executed. So all is lost? Geppetto asks. Blue says there's hope if Geppetto will help. She tells him Snow White is about to have a baby who will save everyone in the kingdom when she reaches her 28th year, but only if she can be protected by the effects of the dark curse. Geppetto is confused about how he can help protect the baby. The blue fairy finally gets to the point and tells him there's an enchanted tree, like the one he carved Pinocchio from, that can protect Snow White's child from the queen's magic if it is carved into a vessel. Geppetto is reluctant, saying he has already lost too much to lose his boy. The fairy urges him to build the wardrobe, as that is the only way to save everyone. Back in Storybrooke, Emma is at the pawn shop telling Mr. Gold that she has to save Henry from Regina. Mr. Gold admits that while her intentions are admirable, he won't take her case because they can't prove Regina's crimes, and she has too much influence in town. Any proceedings against her would be long, drawn out, and futile, he insists. The only certainty he sees is that Henry will suffer, which he cannot be party to. Emma urges Mr. Gold to change his mind, as he is the only one who has ever been able to get the better of Regina. However, Mr. Gold is adamant about his decision, saying he's not the man to help her beat Regina. This was actually like a really painful scene to watch because I can tell he really did want to help. And not just to get the better of Regina, but to see Henry happy with Emma. I know I bitch a lot that this show undermines the importance of adopted parents, and it, and it does, but Regina has been so wound up keeping her curse intact that she has completely forgotten that her priorities shifted from Henry. So I get it. I mean, Mr. Gold never loses patience with Emma in like the way that, you know, he usually does with people, even with Emma, you know, in the past, like when they come knocking for his help and he's just like, I cannot be arsed to help, you know, like he's genuinely apologetic to her. You can tell he, he does want to help. Emma storms out and goes to August's room at Granny's B&B. She tells him she's just about out of options and he once said to beat Regina, she needs to see the big picture. Oh, come on, Emma. Don't throw your lot in with this swine. Show it to me, she says to August. I'm sure that's the first time anyone has said that to August. hey Yeah, because he's gross. Meanwhile, David sees Regina struggling with her car, which she claims won't start. He checks it out and assesses that the battery is dead before offering her a ride because she has a car full of groceries. She initially declines, but accepts after he insists, calling him her knight in shining armor. 
Once they arrive at her house, Regina invites him to stay for dinner. She is making lasagna. I make lasagna from scratch, people, twice a year because truly amazing lasagna takes hours of prep work. And honestly, it tastes better the next day. Just saying. That's like the exact moment I was having. I made a lot of lasagna during the pandemic and it takes a long time. David says it's late and he has to get up early for work. He helps her carry the groceries inside where Regina spies a note addressed to mom. We see the note is blank, but she tells David the note is from Henry, who allegedly will be having dinner with Archie after his therapy session. This is the poor man's psychic paper from Doctor Who. It's just sad. Like, seriously, Regina, at least take time to write the actual contents of the note. If you were next to anyone other than Prince Himbo himself, (laughs) they would have noticed the lack of writing here. But she knew who it was going to be. And she was like, ah, David's so stupid. He won't recognize this. Yes. Yes. That's so sad. (laughs) David. (laughs) David awkwardly, awkwardly apologizes, giving Regina an opening to reveal that lately Henry will do anything to avoid spending time with her. But I shouldn't be burdening you with my problems, she adds with further thanks for his help. David starts to leave, but falls for her pitiful woe is me show and decides to stay for dinner after all. Regina smiles that evil smile that we all know and love, Andren. We swap one manipulative instigator for another as we return to the Enchanted Forest, where the Blue Fairy continues to drone on about curses, stopping at nothing, time is of the essence, blah blah blah. She's leading Geppetto, Pinocchio, and Jiminy through the forest to the last enchanted tree in their realm. Geppetto says he can make a wardrobe out of it. The blue fairy explains that the wardrobe contains only enough magic to protect two from the queen's curse. Snow White and the prince, who will step inside before the curse strikes and travel to another realm, a land without magic, where Snow will give birth to her child. We are reminded again that when the child reaches her 28th year, She'll begin the battle that will defeat the evil queen. Oh my god, the repetitiveness of Emma's destiny is killing me here. It's worse than an anime recap. It's giving me serious, like, war flashbacks to watching Fushi Yugi. <laughs> Geppetto realizes once the curse strikes, Pinocchio will likely turn back into a puppet. The blue fairy says it's impossible to know for sure. You know, like a liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keeping the John Mulaney trend going. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jiminy politely reminds the fairy that she is frightening the literal child they are talking about. Overcome with emotion, Geppetto agrees to build the wardrobe on one condition, that Pinocchio is given one of the two spots in the wardrobe. Jiminy reprimands Geppetto, saying he can't bargain with the fate of the whole kingdom. But Geppetto panics, saying he cannot lose his son, that Snow can raise her child without her husband. Jiminy begs Geppetto to think of the example he is setting for Pinocchio, to which the old man takes the low-hanging fruit and reminds the cricket of his involvement in the fate of his parents, saying that Jiminy's debt to Geppetto can never be fulfilled, but a start would be to stay out of this argument. Like, low blow on this poor cricket, dude. Yeah. Man, fuck Geppetto. Returning his attention to the blue fairy, Geppetto says Pinocchio goes into the wardrobe or no one does. He tells the blue fairy to tell the prince and Snow White there is only enough magic in the tree to protect one person. Do we have a deal or no? 
We flash a little forward to the scene from the pilot at the council in Snow White and Charming's castle, where the blue fairy explains the magic of the tree. Geppetto confirms he can build it. She includes the one caveat that the tree can protect only one and a choice must be made. Lol, poor Red. She looks like a cardboard cutout, like in the background of this scene. Well, she does, yeah. Because, like, and when you look at the, the credits, it says archival footage. So they literally did splice, like, the scene from Pilot. Yeah. Into this. But also, isn't there, like, a huge glaring problem with Geppetto's plan and the fact that, like, Snow's gonna notice when he goes, oh, by the way, and crams his son in the tree with her? He sends the son first. Oh. Yeah, he, he sends him, and then he closes the door, and then he's gone. And then That's true. I mean, like, I mean, by the time she would have realized that two people could have gone, because I'm sure he was, like, thinking, oh, well, Snow will just raise my son as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the that, assumption that was... made here. Yeah, no, really. I don't know why that made me extra angry, but it did. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, no, I just, yeah. He's... I realized it, like, as I said, I was like, oh, my God, who was going to raise fucking Pinocchio? Oh, you mean the pregnant lady who has yeah, to like... now also raise her newborn? Yeah, he, he, just sends, he just sends Pinocchio on ahead. And then Man. Snow's just going to be left there going, I thought they said only one fuck this guy you know like and it's too late she can't do anything about it she's in the land without magic she can't do anything yeah she's like i could have had my husband with me and i now i can't because of geppetto made this choice here's here's what the really shitty part if he had probably gone and pleaded his case she would have understood they would have they would have charming person charm well charming charming is called charming for a fucking reason he's a fucking gentleman he's a hero he would have stepped aside and said absolutely you know your son can go we un- we totally yeah. understand they would have gone for it they would yeah. have like they would have been heartbroken but they would have been like we're we'll figure we're it out give our child the best chance of course you want to give your child the best chance we're yeah. both parents we understand this we'll help each other out and the shitty thing is is that like like the blue fairy just like is like feels like she's oh fucking strong-armed to this decision and i'm just like bitch you're just as culpable like you could have told them like, he didn't keep put you between a rock and a hard place. He really didn't, you know? I don't know. This, there was a way around this. And yeah, they, they chose poorly. They did. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people just being shitty here and basically expecting Snow White to clean up their mess. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what it seems to come down to is they're like, Snow will take care of it. It's like, yeah, because that poor woman doesn't have enough on her fucking plate. Uh, all right. Well, fuck the Enchanted Forest. What's going on in Storybrook, Elisa? Well, <laughs> we, we are with August and Emma, who are oh. Storybrook on his motorcycle. When Emma inquires where they are going, August explains he is taking her on a trip to tell her his story. And Emma is just so done when August is like, my story. We're all fucking done. I think she literally (laughs) rolled her eyes like, oh I think she did, yeah. (laughs) She did. And I just, in that moment, I felt Emma Swan so deeply in my bones. I was like, me too, girl. Me too. (laughs) When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David and Regina wrap up dinner 
and David compliments Regina's lasagna by telling her, you really know how to work some magic. Thanks, I preheated the oven and opened the box of stovers myself. She'd have had to. There's no way she'd made a lasagna from scratch in this amount of time, because otherwise, what was David even doing the whole time? Just like staring blankly at a wall with the entertainer playing in his head? I mean, and even stovers, we used to rely on that before, you know, I became an adult and learned how to cook. And shit, man, that takes like an hour. It's uh, true. They must have been like playing Boggle or something. She just pointed him at a blank wall and he just sat there with the entertainer. <laughs> they were they were uh, playing Bop It. Bop, they were definitely <laughs> playing Bop It. <laughs> it's delightful. My son doesn't want to play anything with me. <laughs> Regina and the audience get the irony of his remark, but he doesn't. He takes the dishes into the kitchen, saying that the last few weeks haven't been easy for him, but that Regina has been there for him the whole time. I wonder why that is, David. I wonder why that is. And I love it that it's like, it hasn't been easy for me. Fuck you. I know, <laughs> right? Right? It's like, excuse- I'm sorry, you're the one who's been endearing the huge hardship? Mary Margaret has been framed for murder. Catherine was held hostage in a basement. Sir? <laughs> Sir? The women in your life keep suffering while you just are like, oh, blue, blue, blue. I'm going to have some lasagna. (laughs) Yeah. I get no consequences for anything ever. My life is hard. Life is hard. Regina says she cannot help but feel responsible for him ever since she found him. David asked Regina to tell him the story of how she found him. She remembers that she was working late and it was a cold night. During her drive home, Regina realized she left her phone at the office, even though she knew she didn't really need it. Something inside me told me to turn around and go back. She saw David on the side of the road, unconscious, so cold he felt like ice. She claims that the doctor said if she had found David 10 minutes later, he would have been dead. David thinks it's almost like the universe wanted her to find him. They hold each other's gaze for a moment before Regina moves in for a kiss but David backs away. He apologizes, saying, this is great like it is. He thanks her for dinner and leaves. After David is gone, Regina angrily throws her wine glass at a mirror and shatters it. Oh no, 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 no. Regina, bad. Damn girl. David is so gentle putting her down, and all I can think is, why could you not show that compassion to Mary Margaret? You bastard. I am honestly constantly confused by how good Charming is and how much David sucks, to be honest. Like, it has to be the curse. It doesn't make sense. You gotta hope. You gotta hope. You gotta hope that it's the curse, because otherwise, boy. We return to the Enchanted Forest, where Snow White is in labor, and Charming doesn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's good here. We love him here. He's wonderful here. Charming's a good boy. It's just David that's bad. But the wardrobe isn't finished yet, and the curse is almost upon them. The Blue Fairy tells Geppetto that circumstances have changed, and Pinocchio can't go into the wardrobe, as Snow White must accompany her baby daughter. It is imperative that the baby Emma grows up with someone to guide her, and instill belief in her destiny. But we had a deal, Geppetto argues. Ah, sigh. Why is this show full of disappointing men? I don't even know why we're surprised that Geppetto is going to pull this bitch move because in the Disney movie, he was a cat kicker. So he was, he uses the puppet Pinocchio to kick Figaro. So consistently a bastard man. I know. 
That's why they took Figaro away from Geppetto and were like, this is Minnie Mouse's cat now. Minnie Mouse now has Figaro because you don't deserve him. She's a cute cat. And she is an icon. (laughs) Yeah. The Blue Fairy insists there is no time to argue and that she must return to the fairies to make final preparations. She expects Geppetto to follow through and pass the message on to Snow White. She then fucks off, passing the buck as usual. Bitch, if this is so important, fucking you tell Snow White. Why would you put that on him? Like, you already know how angry and blustery he is. Like, Blue Fairy, thou art a villain. Yeah, she could have done something about this. If she was like, it needs to be Snow White and the baby, she would not have left. Like, this is the only preparation that needs to be made. Like, yeah. why does she have to go back to the fairies? Uh, <sighs> after she leaves, Pinocchio is ready to tell Snow White, but his father says no and tells Pinocchio to get into the wardrobe. Jiminy protests, but Geppetto decides to twist the Blue Fairy's words and pass the tremendous responsibility of raising a newborn in an unfamiliar world to his seven-year-old son. Pinocchio resists lying, but goes along with Geppetto's plan because he is a little boy following his misguided father's instructions. Geppetto makes Pinocchio promise in 28 years he will make sure the savior believes. Jiminy reminds Pinocchio to remain brave, truthful, and unselfish. And he remains, none of these things. I'm sorry, Jiminy. Right. Because these idiots exemplify these traits so perfectly. How can a seven-year-old boy protect a newborn? You're making your boy complicit. Ugh. No, 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 no. These two grown-ass people are fucking off their own responsibilities and passing the buck to the seven-year-old boy. Even Jiminy is culpable. Fuck all y'all. Well, I think we've well established here that Geppetto is a sack of crap. Mm. Like, at this point... I don't even blame Jiminy. This demon child tortured him in the fucking episode opening. And Geppetto damn near hulked out at him. But Geppetto can definitely suck a fuck, and so can the Blue Fairy. Pinocchio gets inside the wardrobe. Geppetto tells him, You will find me again. And on that day, I will look at you with pride. You'll be a great man, my son. He really won't, though. He's gonna go out there and be, like, the biggest piece of shit humanly possible. And slowly get to turn to wood for essentially being unable to not be a douche. Geppetto closes the doors. There is a rumbling noise, and he opens the doors to find the wardrobe empty. He breaks down in tears. We return to the land without magic outside Storybrooke, where we see August driving Emma on his motorcycle. They arrive at a diner Emma recognizes. She becomes hostile at August's evasiveness, saying she is not a character in one of his books. What the hell are we doing here? She demands. Calmly, August replies, I think you know. He pulls out a newspaper clipping from 28 years ago. The article written up when Emma was found. This is the diner she was brought to when she was found as a newborn. Emma is confused how their stories intertwine until August reveals he was the seven-year-old boy who found Emma when she was a baby. He's honestly lucky she didn't just like hit him with a rock right here and make a break for it because this is some grade-A stalker nonsense. We flash back to the same location outside Storybrooke, 28 years ago where a tree is hollowed by an internal force, revealing Pinocchio. Cautiously, the boy hops out of the tree and warily looks around. The deafening noise of the commercial airplane flies over him, frightening him. He tries to climb back into the tree, but is shocked and thrown back onto the forest floor. Pinocchio is flooded with flashbacks of his life with his father and the moment he was sent away in the wardrobe. He wakes and gets up right as another wave of magic washes through, and Pinocchio finds the crying baby Emma inside the tree. He picks her up. This is so traumatizing and terrifying for that little boy. 
Flash forward 28 years outside Storybrooke. Emma tries to find flaws in August's story, claiming she was found on the side of the road, not in a tree. He insists that he lied about where he found her. Emma tells August she's done listening to his story. As she walks away, August reveals the one detail omitted in her publicly known story, that she was found wrapped in a blanket where the name Emma was embroidered along the bottom. He says he lied about where he found her in order to protect her. He tells her they both came into this world through the tree they're standing next to. You're asking me to believe that you are a fairy tale character, Emma asks. He reveals that he is Pinocchio, to which Emma says that it explains all of the lying. She realizes he is the one who added the unfinished Pinocchio story to Henry's book. She thinks he is mad and does not understand why he left out the ending of the story. He says the unfinished story ends with her believing. She leaves and he gives chase until he falls over in pain. Emma reluctantly backtracks as he laments about his failures. She warns him that if he is trying to make her feel sorry for him, it will not work. Emma is so done with this greasy bastard and so am I. He insists that his ailment is real before revealing he was in Phuket, Thailand the moment when Emma decided to stay in Storybrooke. She asks how he knows when she decided to stay. And he says he woke up at 8.15 in the morning with a shooting pain in his leg. That's 8.15 p.m. in Storybrooke. And that's when time started to move forward again in the town. He says he was supposed to be there for her, and he wasn't. Which was why he needed a painful reminder about how far he has strayed from his mission. August hobbles to a fallen tree to sit and says, If that tree won't make you believe, then maybe this will. He rolls up his pant leg in an attempt to show her his wooden leg. But Emma can't see it. She only sees a human leg. And she's just like, why are you showing me that hairy ankle? Please stop. For real. She's just like, ew, dude, what the fuck? He is horrified to discover her denial is more powerful than he thought. That it is preventing her from seeing the truth. You don't want to believe. After everything you've seen, why can't you just do it? Emma demands to know why it is so important that she believes. August says that everyone needs her but Emma doesn't want anyone to need her. That everyone's happiness is her responsibility is utter crap. Emma did not ask for it, nor does she want it. She only wants Henry because that is all she can handle right now. He emphasizes that Emma is everyone's only hope. Then you're all screwed, she says before walking away. Look, I understand August's frustration, but I also think Emma is 100% valid because it is crap that she is responsible for everyone's happy endings. Like, that's unfair. Yeah, like, that's a hell of a thing to just drop on a person. Emma didn't sign up for this. She didn't even know who any of these people were a couple months ago. She's not in any way prepared to just have this responsibility just foisted on her. And, um, let me make sure I'm not wrong here. But wasn't there someone whose whole fucking job was to make sure she was prepared to come back and save everyone? Who, like, didn't do that at all? Hmm, much to think about. I I just have to say, though, that Jennifer is so good in this scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she's fantastic. We're not questioning that. So good. We're questioning the repeated theme of this episode being like, just dump it on the woman. She'll deal with it. Yeah. She'll deal with everyone's emotional burdens. Because that's what they were fucking going to do to her mom also. Yeah. So that's like the theme of this shitty episode is like, just make the woman do it while us men lay here and be useless. (laughs) In a flashback. We're at a children's home, presumably in Boston, because that's clearly the only city where anything happens. Yeah, everyone knows that there's only Boston. Only Boston. Only Boston. 
where a young Pinocchio is standing over a crib attempting to entertain a crying baby Emma. She stops crying. He kneels down to open a toolbox with the intention of tightening the legs on the crib when an angry handyman snaps at him and gives the audience visual cues that this is not a nice place. After he takes his toolbox and leaves, a slightly older boy slinks into the room and shows Pinocchio a wad of cash he found in the sock drawer. He claims it's enough to buy them all bus tickets out of town. Pinocchio wants to bring Emma, but the other boy says they cannot take care of a baby. Pinocchio has to make an immediate decision as the other children are leaving at that moment. He leans over the crib and apologizes to Emma, giving her a goodbye kiss before leaving the baby behind. I'm sad for little Pinocchio because this is not a great place to be in. Like, who wouldn't fuck off from a shitty early 80s children's home? Like, I would have. I mean, he should not have been placed in that position in the first place. Like, and like, I get like a seven-year-old couldn't care for a baby in the first place. And they're trying to, I guess, kind of tie this into the theme of giving them their best chance. Cause like, at least she'd be taken care of better than like on a run by a seven-year-old. But on the other end, this part also makes me so angry for poor baby Emma being left behind. Like she, she was supposed to be taken care of and she wasn't. And this kid has one job that you know, his father Geppetto just foisted on him and he shouldn't have had that job in the first place. But like, damn, like the, he just leaves her behind and it's a difficult know. situation I... because, you know, he's a seven-year-old kid who, how, how could he have taken care of her? But at the same time, like just leaving just this poor baby behind is just awful. I, I mean, to me, the blame completely goes on Geppetto yeah. and the Blue Fairy. And if we want to get really, really, really philosophical about it, which I really don't want to do in this episode necessarily, hmm, Rumble Stillskin. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's just like, you know, and of course, Regina. <sighs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, like, as an adult, uh, yeah, I, I feel like August has a certain responsibility, but like, as a child, no. Especially since he wasn't even, like, born and raised. Like, he literally turned into a seven-year-old boy. Yeah. He, you know, he didn't have those developmental years that are so crucial in infancy and your toddlerhood so yeah it's just no yeah it's a it's a it's a terrible situation all around terrible and like situation when august got older he should have gone back to emma yeah he should have gone back for emma absolutely as a seven-year-old kid like she had no training for this experience who who would be surprised that he wouldn't you know have stuck around but and it's not like they were waving Pleasure Island in front of him. I mean, know that this was supposed to sort of represent it, but it, it wasn't like, hey, let's go to Coney Island and live in the fun house, you know? <laughs> no, it's either let's, let's escape a no, it's not like, a good situation. Yeah, like let's escape a really shitty like children's home. Which like on one hand makes it more understandable that he leaves, but on the other hand makes it so much worse that Emma's left behind. Right. I mean, she's at least like in a crib, like where are you going to put a baby, right? Yeah. No, like the only option, it would like there was no option of bringing her. The option would have just been him. To stay with her. Stay you know? with her. But they probably would have been separated anyway. So, you know, once they got placed in the foster homes. This is a you know what situation that uh that all these uh, shitty, shitty adults forced them in. And if the Blue Fairy had just been like, hey, Snow White, this is what's going on. And Geppetto yeah. had come clean, we could have avoided the situation. But then I guess we would have had the show. <laughs> yeah. and then we'd have nothing to talk and about all, and then they all lived happily ever after the end the end uh so uh in present day storybook august walks up a driveway to watch marco working on the cuckoo clock in his garage august advises marco to align the gear on the spindle then press the spring 
Marco follows the tip with successful results. He flashes a smile and asks, who taught you? August says, my father. Marco says that August's father must be very proud, to which a younger man says he doesn't think he turned out to be the man his father wanted him to be. Man. August says that he made his father a promise, but by the time he got around to it, it might have been too late. Marco says as long as August tried to follow through and correct his mistake, that should be enough. Although for Marco, it would be enough just to have a son. August spies his wooden toy whale on the shelf in Marco's garage before asking the handyman if he would be willing to take on an assistant. Marco says he can't pay him. That's okay. I just feel like fixing things, August says. The man invites him into the garage, beckoning in Italian the way he used to as Geppetto had to Pinocchio. I do actually like the scene between August and Geppetto, especially the line, I just feel like fixing things. Please don't, don't make me sleep on the couch, Lynn. I'm sorry. Salem's with me. Neither of us can believe the betrayal that is happening in our own home. I'm, I'm sorry, Lynn. I'm sorry. Plug yours. But I love Ian Bailey in this scene. Like, I know that August is a mostly shitty character. Mostly. But, <laughs> but Ian Bailey in this scene is really, really good. And it's a great performance. It's yeah. a great performance of him just being so heartbroken and so, like, just full of self-loathing over something that truly should have never been put on his shoulders to begin with, you know? And here, and here's fucking Marco, just all blissfully unaware, much like David, <laughs> just blissfully unaware of just shitty things going on. And it's like, yeah, you get to tinker, tink, 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 tink with your shit and completely unaware of how your decision has fucked up this boy's life. Yeah. 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 Ian Bailey in this scene was really good. Mm. (laughs) Well, I hope next week everyone enjoys their episode introduced by the narrators too, (laughs) because this is my last episode. No, you're supposed to narrate next week. I will. (laughs) Nope. Nope. A bitch is out. Will not be sharing space with August sympathizers. Miss me as I go. Miss me as I go. No, he is a dick. I'm sympathizing with young Pinocchio. God damn it. That little kid's cute. He's super cute. Meh. Cute little ginger child. Distracting Lynn from her planned departure. Let's go back and uh, see what Henry's doing because we know she loves Henry. So later that night, Henry is awakened by a code red on the walkie talkie from Emma. She says she needs to talk about them. He goes outside to join Emma and her yellow bug. Emma asks if he wants to get away from Regina and live with Emma. More than anything, he says, Emma tells him to buckle up because they're leaving Storybrooke. Emma's just like, I can't deal with this. It's time for a kidnapping. That'll fix things. And credits. So overall, I think the Pinocchio backstory actually works really well for August. Basically, his whole life in the land without magic has been a parallel for Pinocchio's series of bad choices. His leaving baby Emma behind mirrors Pinocchio running away from the responsibility of having to go to school. His travels around the world mirrors his time in Pleasure Island. And he certainly does his fair share of acting through this all. And then we've got another like second mirror here with Emma running away from her heroic responsibility at the end of the episode, being a really nice parallel to August having done the exact same thing as a child. 
So overall, despite this being a really August heavy episode, um, it's not perfect, but there's some solid themes going on here. I also want to say just because, you know, we are always harping on August all the time for being a smug jerk, that it's nothing about Eowyn, uh, the actor, because I do think he does a really good job in this role. And I think it's a testament to his acting, just how angry he can make us in these episodes. But yeah, overall, you know, it's it's not my favorite episode, but I, th- I think it's a strong episode. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I have nothing profound to add, like in conclusion, because I think I, I said everything in the episode, but I did have like a lingering thought, which is Henry always knew that Marco was Geppetto and Archie was Jiminy. So I wonder, he never figured out that August is Pinocchio. Like he never did. So I'm assuming that he just assumed Pinocchio must still be a child and maybe like one of the kids at school. Oh yeah, because there was nothing in the book about, you know, Pinocchio having gone through the wardrobe, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, he probably just assumed it was it was a child, so probably tried to, you know, always figure out which classmate was Pinocchio. Yeah. Costumes. We didn't really have too many like standout costumes, but I thought I little Pinocchio's hat was precious. Yeah. And then I made me wonder like what the people who found him and Emma at the side of the road thought of him just wearing his like little alpine lad costume yeah like, like his his uh oh god what are they called later hosen later hosen yeah they're like this kid just can't i mean it was october so they probably figured out figured that like his parents ditched him and like, his october. baby sister like at an october fest oh man like they went to go get wasted what a story that yeah that wove. yeah yeah that, that's like the only costume i really took note of this episode yeah same. I think we're dead to Lynn. I think we're dead to Lynn. here anymore. <sighs> That's all right. I actually have to now go on record saying I apologize because I said something without having my resource bookmark for last episode. I said that Regina was 22, which I would not have come up with that number arbitrarily. Like I, I did find a resource. However, I did not keep said resource and now I can't find said resource. So there's a lot of resources out there, my friends. And I totally thought it was at the Wikipedia. It wasn't. We later find out through canon-related sources that Regina was supposed to be 18 in The Stable Boy, which makes Kim Leopold even fucking creepier. Yeah, Yeah. that just just adds to the skis factor, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, not like, you know, it wasn't already pretty bad. All right, well, then we'll play Who's That Guest Star? (laughs) So in episode 20, we have Jacob Davies as young Pinocchio. Canadian actor Jacob Davies is best known for his roles as young Lex Luthor in Smallville and can be seen on television shows such as R.L. Stein's Haunting Hour, Creeped Out, Adventure Club, Spooksville, and Supernatural. Of course. Tony Amendola as Geppetto, a.k.a. Marco. Born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut, not Italy, Amendola has appeared in such films as Lone Star, The Mask of Zorro, Blow, The Legend of Zorro, Annabelle, and The Curse of La Llorona. His illustrious television career spans four decades with shows such as Dexter, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, Continuum, Stargate SG-1, LA Law, and Kindred, The Embrace. Lastly, fans can hear Amendola's voice in animation and video games such as Twin Mirror, Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Castlevania, Final Fantasy XV, World of Warcraft Legion, and Fallout 4. Keegan Connor Tracy as the Blue Fairy, aka Mother Superior. Canadian-born actor Keegan Connor Tracy has enjoyed a wide range of characters on film and TV in titles such as The Magicians, Morning Show Mysteries, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Jake 2.0, 
Battlestar Galactica, Bates Motel, and Supernatural. Ian Bailey as adult Pinocchio slash August W. Booth. I can, I can feel Lynn rolling her eyes, that's all. <laughs> I'm just with Salem who just came in and screamed as soon as you said that. I was like, that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> California born and raised, Ian Bailey has been enjoying an active career for 25 years and counting. He began his television career with a guest spot on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and continued on the small screen with roles in titles such as Band of Brothers, ER, Dirty Little Secret, Covert Affairs, Ray Donovan, Stalker, and The Stand. He was in films such as Almost Famous, Center Stage, and Extortion. Lastly, Bailey is no stranger to the stage. He particularly received praise for his portrayal as Alan Stang in the psychological masterpiece Equus where the role required a full mental breakdown and prolonged nudity. Because even though August can be a trying ass character, Ian Bailey is a tasty, tasty snack. He is. I just died inside. <laughs> I just felt myself become Loved him in center so stage, much gayer. God damn it. Center stage is one of my favorite movies. Well, it was, but I liked him in that. It was very sweet to that very, very smug ballerina <laughs> all right i'll try to distract lynn again because it's time to get swallowed by that monster of a whale that is once upon a timeline okay <laughs> i think you need to settle down <laughs> oh she's so angry i'm glad right. that i'm 40 miles away <laughs> <laughs> so where this episode lies especially what comes before it uh, and the timeline from the previous 19 episodes we've watched it's a little uncertain because we don't quite know how much time has passed from the time of the flashback of geppetto and pinocchio's encounter with monstro in the first flashback to them being tasked with the building the wardrobe mid-episode we know for sure that this follows episode five that still small voice by at least you know 50 years or so based on geppetto's age and since the pinocchio we see turns into a real boy is the same actor as he is in other scenes uh we can guess that them having to prepare for the curse isn't too long after these first few flashbacks and then once we have geppetto um tasked with building this wardrobe the flashbacks are right alongside those seen in the middle of episode one pilot uh, we even have a few overlapping moments and the final flashbacks of the episode take place a little while after the flashbacks in episode one pilot so basically the episode starts right before the pilot flashbacks Lots of it takes place during the pilot's flashbacks. And the episode ends sometime after the last flashback in the pilot's flashbacks as well. Uh, so this is just kind of like the same basic timeline as illustrated in pilot. All right. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Regina works with Jefferson on a plan to get rid of Emma as flashbacks show Snow White attempting to reunite with Charming after he is kidnapped by the evil queen. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is, if you want something done, do it yourself. Don't pass the buck on to a seven-year-old puppet child. It will only end in disappointment. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch on tumblr at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com if you enjoy once upon a rewatch please leave us a review on apple podcasts or on your platform of choice 
I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLee. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all pod devices come with a price. Let me do this all over again. I'm so off my game now. Sorry. Here, I'm August. I have chest hair, and I wear a little scarf. And, a, <laughs> and I'm greasy. I'm greasy. I take no showers. <laughs> I got a typewriter in my briefcase. I have a, I have a wooden leg named Smith. <laughs> Look at my hairy ankle.